you know, my goal in life is to be interested and interesting. Women tend to look at everything they don't have and then certainly the male colleagues that I've worked with always think that, you know, well, I've got 60% of the skills for this role, I'll do it. Yeah. And then women are like, I, I, have, I don't have the 40% and there's no way. Every next level of your life will demand a different you. You know, there are some things you learn best in calm and then there's some that you learn best in a storm. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Holloway, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer-turned-fun-trepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. Hello, beautiful people. What a huge week it's been. Gallivanting around the place, including up to Sydney for a few things, but particularly the Australian Podcast Awards, which you probably all saw because I was spamming everyone about it because it was so exciting. Thank you all so very much for getting behind this little project, Seize the Yay, and for voting if you're one of the amazing people who took the time, and I know it was a bit of a convoluted process to do so, and also just for the messages of love and support and feedback, both before and after the award. It truly continues to blow me away, all the amazing listeners that are out there and and how much you guys support what we're doing. It's just, yeah, I really don't even have words, which is a rare occurrence. So Seize the A didn't take home the best new podcast title, but I was just so bowled over to be in the top six at all in that category. It's such a young podcast. It really did start as just a hobby and a side project. And to think that it's grown, I think we ended up as the 11th most popular podcast in Australia, uh, and I just still don't really even know how that happened. I think awards are such a nice way to recognise really hard work and really good quality uh, output and products, but at the same time, it's just a, a huge privilege to even get to do this at all and even to make the finals at all and I was just so stoked to even just see the community that we've created I didn't think there was one but it turns out there is and everyone rallying around with the messages of support and love it just really meant so much so thank you so much and a huge congratulations to Seize the Yay guests and dear friends Zara and Michelle from the Shameless podcast who deservedly won most popular podcast for 2019 and could not think of anyone more deserving they have absolutely changed the game over a million downloads it was just so so you know such an honor to be there to see that for them yeah if you haven't had a listen I I doubt you haven't but if you haven't it is absolutely such a good time they're absolutely amazing it's the podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff so speaks to a special place in my heart (laughs) and yeah got to connect with a few other podcasters out there too which is so funny because none of us know what each other looks like even though we listen to each other's voices all the time so that was a fun time it's really just such a new world to me uh, but I truly adore creating this podcast and these episodes for you guys and can't say how much yay it brings me and how humbling and exciting it is to know that it brings a little bit of yay to even a few of you as well so thank you so much i must also thank you all who jumped on instagram you may have seen that seize the yay has its own page now at seize underscore the underscore yay which i originally said i wouldn't do because i didn't want to have to manage another account but i kind of felt you know it's grown so big that 
there's so much content coming out. I felt it was time to kind of separate it out off and and post some things from the flipbook, some quotes of the day, some of the behind the scenes from the episodes. Um, so I wasn't bombarding the spoonful of Sarah followers with podcast and uh, you know vice versa. So on both pages, I expressed something I've been thinking about for a little while about the diversity and variety on the show. And I still pinch myself at the guests I've been able to host so far. Uh, they've all just been so special in their own different ways with such incredible stories. I do recognize though, as I've mentioned a few times, that it's been a bit founder heavy, particularly because of their flexibility of time, but also because I'm just so lucky to be surrounded by so many of them and uh, have learned so much that I just get so eager to share their stories because I know how inspiring they are. But I really do want to continue to showcase other life structures and pathways as well, including those with and without big profiles too. That's a big thing for me, keeping you know a good mix of genders, a good mix of jobs or founders or people who find their yay outside their job as a hobby, just on an adventure that they're doing. I really do want to keep that um, diversity. So I did a little call out for some suggestions, starting with the professions, nurses, doctors, paramedics, vets, teachers, lawyers, etc. But then I also said I would love to hear from some of those in jobs or on adventures that are interesting in themselves. So just throwing out some dream ideas, the curator of the Louvre Museum in Paris, or the gardener at Buckingham Palace, or, you know, Navy SEAL divers, or just anything interesting that calls out to you or that you might have heard or know of or want to hear from. I think one of the things that came out of this episode that's coming to you is that it's a good thing to strive to be interested and interesting. So that's kind of going to guide me as we keep building the pipeline. I keep saying we as if there's more than me because it sounds fancier, but it's just me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, as I build out the pipeline, I really do want to keep thinking of those really interesting stories that aren't just ones that are well-known or that have profile or are someone we've heard of before. So I've had some amazing suggestions and I'm definitely getting to work on lining up those interviews. Uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know if any of you have thought of it, but it does actually take quite a bit of time to line up these recordings, particularly when people doing those interesting things have really, you know, tough hours and um, and a lot of time or they're overseas or whatever. So I promise you, just know that I'm always working away in the background on the pipeline and have variety in the back of my mind as I form that for you always. Speaking of, today I'm so excited to introduce you to one of my unofficial mentors, although I'm not sure she knows it. I don't think I've told her, but yeah, she is. (laughs) She is one of the smartest and most switched on businesswomen I've been lucky enough to have met. And while she is absolutely knee deep in business at all times, it hasn't been by the founder route, which I found really interesting. Rachel Kelly is a retail superstar, having jumped from a Red Earth franchise in Adelaide to climbing up the retail ladder and into executive mode in the Just Group, to then taking the reins as global CEO of T2, and now looking after all of sales at booming startup Afterpay. In between, she's been an investor, a startup advisor, an executive mentor, and is an absolute fountain of knowledge when it comes to helping complex businesses achieve growth, focus and longevity. I feel so lucky to have had her in my ear at some of the tougher times in our journey and some of the brighter times, just always an absolute guiding light. She is an incredible leader and shares some of her amazing insights for any person owning, working on or in any business. And I hope you gain some pearls of wisdom from our chat. Rachel, hello. Good morning, Sarah. How are you? I am so brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. Very nice to see you. This office is amazing. 
Yeah, so we've sort of um, snuck into the afterpay offices in Sydney. So, yes, they've got that sort of <laughs> it's like industrial urban feel. It's so, fancy. yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> fancy, very fancy. No, I'm not quite sure about that. But, yeah, it's great. It's great to be in Surrey Hills, sort of in the heartland of retail and, yeah, it's excellent. Exciting. Yeah, I was really surprised mm. that it was an office in this area. You know, I expect it to be like Alexandria or somewhere yeah. sort of out, out in the industrial yeah. areas. Yeah, no, no, it's good. Good, nice to be in this sort of heartland land of Surrey Hills. <laughs> All right. So I always start with the segment Way TA, which is how you got to where you are and you have an incredibly interesting journey. But first, I like to start with asking everyone what the most down to earth thing is about them. And I think because you, are, you know, you've been a CEO, a global CEO, you're the ultimate girl boss, it can be quite intimidating. So what's something <laughs> <laughs> like your LinkedIn uh, is just incredible. <laughs> so yeah. what is something really relatable about you oh gosh I think everything is relatable so when I when I listen to everyone's sort of discussion I think my gosh everything I do is relatable Sarah I have to take out my own bins I have to (laughs) do do my own washing I do my own ironing Uh, I you know I think all of that is relatable Um, so no and I think I just what I've loved and always loved is people and helping people grow businesses and so I think but the sort of day-to-day life uh, uh, beneath the veneer of some of that is um, sadly uh, exceptionally boring really (laughs) so my day-to-day life has no glamour even if the outward veneer sort of looks somewhat more glamorous so but yes I do all the normal things that everyone does oh that's very reassuring so I'm one of the people because I sort of travel between Melbourne and Sydney obviously quite a bit so I'm the people that's on the 6am flight on a Monday morning up to Sydney with all my other friends on those flights so yeah I think all of those things are very great yeah, <laughs> they keep you grounded. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so take us back to the very beginning. I find it so interesting to ask people what they were like when they were younger because often, you know, you might steer away from that when you're kind of exploring who you are, but what you ultimately come back to tends to be things that you, you know, exhibited interest you showed as a child, you know, the lemonade stand for the business people and all that kind of thing. So what did you think you wanted to be? Were you cool at school? No, Sarah, please. (laughs) And I think because I've spent my time working in fashion, but I'm very clear that I'm on the functional side of fashion, (laughs) not on the design side of fashion. So I embrace that. And everyone that uh, out there that knows me knows that I am absolutely on the functional side. No, I think I had always loved people debating, talking and organising. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a very short attention span, always did, and that is still remains to the day. So, you know, I always move on and move on sort of quite quickly. But I always loved them. Um, so, you know, at school, um, I obviously went to school in, in Adelaide, um, we all had to debate. So, you know, my parents were like, right, you're always going to do debating and public speaking. And so I'm not sure they realised what they got into because then they had three <laughs> children, all under the age of three, so we're all very close together, and all of them were very good debaters. Oh <laughs> so it's sort of this sort of bit of... Very well done from parents, from educating your children. But the flip side is, is anything then got debated at home. Um, <laughs> so I think always love that. And, you know, was always probably the organiser and, and and just loved it. And I loved retail. So my very first job, which will um, sort of reveal my age, 
was I used to, in the old days, used to have the Messenger Press local newspaper. So oh. I used to roll up all the new local newspaper, have to put a rubber band on it and then throw it over everyone's fence around our neighbourhood. <laughs> And I think I got, I don't know, four or five dollars for it. But it was a really sort of interesting lesson always of having to sort of work and, and realise. But I think the, the one key lesson for me out of that was I, I really hated doing it. And my dad's like, you know, you've got to do it, you've got to do it. And I was like, I can't, I can't. You know, the boys, they keep teasing me and, <laughs> and ripping the newspapers off the back of my bike and all of this. And so my dad was like, no, okay, okay. Yeah, it is difficult in a backpack to be throwing it. So I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I've now completely got out of having to do this job. But he really actually got a big box made so it fit on the back of my bike oh my perfectly. God. And my dad was like, yes, I understand it was difficult, but guess what? Now the box is <laughs> perfectly. The I've solved the problem. And it was just sort of this very first lesson of okay, there's more than one way to look at something. So it just makes me laugh every time we talk about it because I'm like, okay, that really was the very first business lesson, which was <laughs> just because you think you've created a good argument doesn't actually mean that that's going to you know, help you get out of something. So <laughs> I think always from very early age. Yes. Yeah, and then I think that it sort of helped to frame and really think about um, you know how do you think about problems in a different way yeah. so yeah I look back at those early lessons and that was my very first business lesson <laughs> of you know you might want to think through different angles of addressing and solving a problem yeah. so yeah, wow. yeah. Oh, what a great start <laughs> it was a great start but yeah and then I used to collect then the paper money and work so sort of consistently worked in terms of in different roles and different jobs from the very early age but they were always sort of people facing yeah so I think you know I always had that bent from an early age. Yeah, that's so interesting. See, I always think it comes back to what you gravitated towards when you didn't have all these adult agendas and things you know you often come back to that yeah and it's funny it's sort of what you did when your biggest question in life was well how do I get enough money to go to the pub on a Friday and a Saturday <laughs> yeah. and then of course life makes things somewhat more complex but you know at the end of the day it's always about you know sort of having enough money to do the things that you love <laughs> yeah. so you sort of look back and okay so you do you see from a very early age yeah. the foundations of um, your, you know your career and your life yeah so you stayed in South Australia for uni and did yeah. Bachelor of Business Admin. Yeah. And then the Australian Graduate School of Management after that. Yeah. So I think I studied in Adelaide and um, I was actually working at Maya in the hosiery department. Can you believe that, Sarah? No way. I yes, cannot when believe hos- that. when hosiery was a thing. Had a department. Uh, it had its own big department. Um, so I worked in hosiery and, and there I met the two founders of a brand called Red Earth. And that was a sort of an Australian... Uh, so the cosmetics. Cosmetics, right? yes, yeah, I yeah. Right yes, yeah. So, so, and they were franchising, and so I was studying at that point, and I'd been to you know a number of job interviews because I was doing business and marketing, and I remember I was in one interview for um, Palmolive, Colgate Palmolive, and and I was in this interview, and they said, oh, can you now tell us how to sell this toothpaste? And I thought, oh dear God, please don't, <laughs> please don't make me do. 
this. Like I thought, this cannot be the rest of my life doing selling toothpaste. So I thought, oh no, this is just not me. And so at the same time, I met the founders of, of Red Earth and from there had a discussion with them about buying the franchise for um, South Australia. So really, I think I was 22. Oh my God. I know, and I think I was completely crazy. Like I look back on that and think, wow, what was I thinking? <laughs> However, it was fantastic and and I think it has always been that, um, you know, for me, the bit of seeing amazing brands, being inspired by amazing people and then being able to try and help grow and, and drive a business from there. Mm. Um, they were amazing lessons really early on. Mm. So oh, so you did of, buy the franchise? I did, I did. <gasps> wow. so yes, Sarah, I did. So I had a store in Marion in South Australia and it was amazing lessons in terms of retailing economics and margin and um, cash flow. So ultimately sold that business back to Red Earth and then moved to Melbourne and worked for them as a looking after franchisees and um, duty free. But was a really amazing lesson. Um, obviously the economics of that franchise model um, in this particular instance in my business weren't going to be able to sustain it to drive profitability. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think I was 24 and, you know, recognised that this sort of dream and vision that I had wasn't going to bear out to fruition. And it was such an interesting time because I had to sit there and go, okay, now how am I going to get myself out of this? I've got an overdraft on an overdraft <laughs> on an overdraft. Yeah, yeah. And you're sitting there thinking, okay, well, where, where do you go to try and turn this around so um, sort of sat down with the the CEO of Red Earth at the time and sort of talked about you know what they needed and what I could provide and basically did you know a straight sort of negotiation of my services for the franchise payment back uh, and I think that really, you know, that that lesson, and I'm sort of skipping over all the tears and yeah, everything yeah. else. So <laughs> yeah. there's certain coffee shops in, in Adelaide I can't go back to because I, <laughs> I remember being in trauma. It's like, oh, my God, post-traumatic, I can't go anywhere near there. <laughs> um, so, But it was such an interesting, you know, a really interesting and pivotal lesson in terms of how do you trade your way or get your way out of a certain situation. Mm. And as difficult as it was, it did springboard me and that those lessons on the economics of running a business on you know how do you realize value in a business have really kept me you know in, in good stead and sort of as difficult as those lessons were you know it still has spurned my love of startups and um, and helping people grow because you know the, the vision for Red Earth was such a strong and amazing vision but how do you try and translate that vision into a sustainable business is not all always easy. Yeah, I find it so interesting that in your story, there's such a strong core of making businesses grow and sustainably grow and finding strategies to manage them into that kind of growth. And but that it's all been done, you know, I think a lot of people think they have to go the founder route to do that to have their hands, you know, dirty in the mud of business that you have to be that but you've done that. And not by founding your own business, but by going into roles that allow you to do that exact same thing. And yeah. I think it's so fascinating. Yeah, I think it's also the bit on how do you partner. So, you know, for me, um, you know, you need to decide and you need to be sort of clear about who you are. Mm -hmm. And so whilst I sort of joke about being on the functional side of fashion, you know, it is the bit on, well, what role do you play within a business and, and what therefore needs to be the complementary skill sets that you need to have that goes with you mm -hmm 
So I love founders. I love their vision. I love their creativity. I love their passion and their foresight. So that's the bit that personally inspires me. And then it's, okay, well, how do we now translate that into some practical steps for the business and for teams to follow? So, you know, I always think of founders as sort of trees and they've always got these amazing roots (laughs) and energies and everything's all blowing in the, the trees. But who's the person that helps anchor the business and is the roots of the business and I think you know every founder needs those people that help ground their ideas otherwise they're just these crazy ideas blowing around in the the breeze (laughs) I blow in Um, the breeze and I I I call you (laughs) yeah yeah, so you call me it's like okay great idea Sarah so let's just think this through okay so um but I do think that um you know that bit on then you need those people that help anchor that and so you know for me I get great energy from great founders with their crazy idea but then I also love going okay so now how are we going to do that yeah I love that because I think people do think that to get to be in business that you have to be the founder, but it's absolutely not the case. There are so many different career paths that allow you to be doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and I do talk to a number of people that sort of are in corporates that are like, you know, do I need to leave? Do I need to set up my own thing? And I'm like, well, it's not either or you yeah. could do both yeah. so you could stay in your current organization and then how do you then try and find something else that gives you the good energy and helps complement it so I sort of think this bit of this either or or you're either in corporate or you're not I sort of think well you can actually find find a bit of balance between both yeah and I think you do have to know what gives you good energy totally. so you know as I said I've got an attention span the size of a pea so <laughs> for someone like me Sarah focused on sort of you know at a computer focused all day is just not going to happen so you know you need to then go okay well I need to focus on sort of budget or finance for a certain period of time but then how do you intersperse the rest of your week with all those other things that give you good energy otherwise you do run out of steam and um, you know you can sort of you know find yourself running down a path where where the scales between life are all out of balance so. Yeah, absolutely. So Red Earth brought you to Melbourne and then you stayed on and took a position at Just Group. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So at, at that time, and this was, um, it was a recruiter lady um, called Helen Ballantyne and um, I met her and she said to me, oh, you know, I think you should go and, you know, there's this sort of very first regional role at Just Jeans. It's the first, you know, outside. And I'm like, oh, Helen, I don't wear jeans. I'm not a, I'm not a jeans girl. I was like, how does this all work? This is not going to happen. And she went, no, just just go along and meet them and so I'd met Craig Kimberley and a number of the team there and a, and a lady called Glenna Shearer as well so and just thought okay these people are amazing and really loved you know their energy their passion and their focus so I moved into Just Jeans for sort of three months and then at the end of three months I thought oh they sort of um at the time my boss called me in and said oh you know it's a three-month review and I thought oh dear is this this is where I get this terminated <laughs> okay I was like oh okay I'm unemployed again um and he went no no we want you to go and run South Australia so I sort of moved back and and then sort of progressed managing one brand and then a number of brands and a number of states and so I had sort of the great fortune to be you know retail schooled by you know the likes of Craig Kimberley and Glenna Shearer a number of people who are very strong retailers who really 
gave me the insight into how do you take a brand vision and, and translate that into the economics. So oh, some very so good cool. teachers over those times. So you started as a general manager? Was that your first position? No, I started as a regional manager. Okay. Yeah, regional manager for Just Jeans in Victoria and I was I think one of maybe three or four regionals yeah. and then sort of just progressed from there. And um, I think it's an interesting one on – I always had a view – of never really quite knowing what my next role within the Just Group would be. <laughs> but I love the people and thought, okay, well, you know, if you do this role well yeah. and you build connections within the organisation and you can build your network, then I do think then sometimes the next opportunities that present you don't know themselves. will present themselves. So yeah. um, I then, um, at the time, the CEO, Howard McDonald, said, oh, we want you to, to go to Perth and we're going to trial running three or four brands together under the one sort of um, management structure and so could you go and do that and so I was like <laughs> sure oh, okay okay Perth sounds good so you know was given those opportunities that you never would have really realized and then sort of as I progressed um, moved and looked after Sydney and then moved back to Melbourne um, running all of the retail side of the Just Group and mm. in that time was part of the management buyout um, and so a number wow. of different sort of structures ownership structures within the Just Group yeah. um, and then sort of my last two years there um, was on the board which was fantastic experience. Yeah um, that's amazing. Yeah. Did you set out thinking I, you know, starting in this role, I want to climb up and end up an executive director or a CEO, you know, did you have your sights set on kind of climbing that ladder? No, I would love to say that I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality there is no. I always was, and I think I've been driven by and very focused on, you know, succeeding and doing well in that role. Mm. And I remember, um, you know, getting the call from um, Mr. Lou about going on the board. And I was like, oh, I can't go on the board. Like, <laughs> seriously, like, uh, he's like, okay, so the fact that you're saying that is a reason that you should be <laughs> coming on. So I think I'd always just thought, mm, okay, um, you know, do this role well yeah. and that will get there. So I, I think it's just an interesting one on sort of dreaming bigger. So if I did my time again, it would be, okay, no, you can do that. Mm. And I think it's this interesting thing where, and I do genuinely believe it and see it, that women tend to look at everything they don't have. And then certainly the male colleagues that I've worked with always think that, you know, well, I've got 60% of the skills for this role, I'll do it. Yeah. And then women are like, I, I, have, I don't have the 40% and there's no way. So yeah. I think there's just an interesting dichotomy and certainly, you know, you, you know, you'd love to have children and it's sort of like, okay, so how do you, you know, teach and, and you know, coach and mentor, especially female entrepreneurs mm. um, and the next generation to actually believe in themselves that what they have is enough? Absolutely. And so, and I think it was a, it's just a really interesting lesson. I remember going to my first board meeting um, of the Just Group and I had literally, Sarah, I had studied like I was, you know, like it was an MBA and, I, you know, and then I realised, okay, 
actually, you know, you do have enough, um, you can contribute and you don't need to sort of apply this huge amount of um, uh, pressure on yourself. Yeah, totally. So I think it sort of was just an interesting one on how do you balance your expectation and then be clear that the expectations of others and align them. And I think sometimes, you know, as females, we can drive that really hard and perhaps get that slightly out of balance. Yeah, definitely. I think the difference is, you know, when I was a lawyer, I found the different approaches just intrinsically of the genders in the way they approach things. I really had to get my head around it so I wouldn't be disadvantaged by those natural tendencies. And I read all those stats about, you know, women waiting until they have 110% of the criteria. And you have to think about that before otherwise it just kind of passes you by and you end up not putting yourself forward for things like that and if you're not aware you can't kind of Um, I completely agree and I think you know the piece is so if you feel that you've got a gap who in your network or how do you build a network that you can help that can support you in that gap so uh, you know, I've got a very clear network if I need some help on finance, on legal, on something else, then there's these sort of connections that you know you can call on. Yeah. And I think it's as important to build your network as it is to be, you know, you know, sitting there and sort of reflecting on your own skills. So yeah. it's sort of like, okay, well, rather than beat yourself up, how do you just make sure that your network is so strong that if you do have a problem, you actually know that you could ring someone to help you think it through? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I think your network is your net worth. Is that how they say it? Yeah, yeah I, it's true. And I, I do think I think on the you know the network piece, it's also that you know as you go through different stages, you need to sort of supplement and doesn't mean you sort of change everyone over, yeah. but you do need <laughs> sort of like, oh, so sort of like three years you need to move on. And, but I Bye. do think you need to you do evolve and and so how do you not get so inwardly focused, especially sort of you know. And even for entrepreneurs, you know, you to be so inwardly focused that it's the bit on, well, where's all the connections and interest and engagement externally that you're missing? And so you can go through, you know, years and then go, okay, well, I'm actually, you know, missing out on opportunities to build and, and um, see things in a different way. Yeah. So I think it's so important to try and you know, slot in or make throughout your year time to go and see things differently. So just spent a week in Shanghai and went to Alibaba and JD. And so you can just see what's happening in a different way. And I just think it helps challenge your thinking and keep you sort of refreshed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so in 2014, then you became the global CEO of T2. Yes. Which is amazing yeah so (laughs) how did you find yourself in a global CEO role like well I'd I'd been at Just Group for a number of years and sort of had left and gone back a couple of times and um, and I really wanted to move out of apparel so anyone out there that's running an apparel business will fully appreciate this you know very tight margins um, you know if the customer doesn't like your product then you know it makes it sort of you've got to exit it and so the economics uh, you're always under pressure and I really loved um, brands and so I met Marianne Shearer who was the founder or co-founder of T2 and just loved that as a 
as a brand. Just popping in here quickly to say somehow, I don't know how, the whole audio file is fine except this little snippet where Rachel talked about meeting Marianne from T2 and how those conversations just went from casual conversations to actually landing the global T2 CEO position. So she'll continue on and if I'd left it without coming in, you'd probably be like, oh my God, I don't understand what happened. But that's what happened. I don't know what happened to the audio. Everything else is fine. But yeah, so leaving you back to it. Sometimes, you know, you know, you're talking about was it planned? It's like, mm, no. Um, <laughs> but so, I love that. I want I want people to know that there's one way to do it, which is have that in your, you know, as a goal and set it. But it can also happen for you if you don't do that. Yeah, it, it is. And I think that's about a network. So I was introduced um, to Marianne through um, a previous HR director at um, Just Group. So I think this bit on how do you, A, trust in yourself and then build the network and keep that network going mm. and engaged and so that then that can help, you know, facilitate introductions or, yeah. you know, people know and go, okay, maybe her skill set could, could help at that time. Yeah. So I think, you know, it was an amazing, amazing brand and so during that time or just um, previous, obviously T2 sold to Unilever so it was working um, with sort of a founder and then obviously with um, Unilever team at the time. So it was fantastic, amazing to to you know grow the business into multiple countries overseas and really help sort of reset the foundations and still for me is one of the most amazing brands uh, in terms of you know Australian success story in, ta- in terms of a brand going global yeah so cool to be involved in its growth and in such a big transition as well and at, at a stage where it was already you know quite a big recognized brand but to come in and have that to work with would have just been so exciting. Yeah, and I think it's a really fascinating one in terms of, you know, how do you take a business and grow a business and, um, you know, all about the team and the foundations. And I think, you know, people talk about having the right team on board, um, but it's so true. And um, I think, you know, it's the journey from founders of, you know, how do you then um, create that vision for a business? Mm. And I think, you know, it was such an amazing brand and that you know how do you just it was just a, a you know a fantastic time to be part of that that business and that journey yeah but I think you know it was an interesting one it was obviously very high um, customer experience and customer touch point and so there's sort of you know how do you think about your brand if you're an entrepreneur in terms of what are the intrinsic customer touch points that are really the foundation of your business and how do you make sure that you you know hang on to those and treasure those because they'll be the things that ultimately help you grow your business. Yeah, totally. And so now obviously we are in the Afterpay offices. So to explain that to people, you are no longer at T2. No. And now at Afterpay. And one of the things that I wanted to ask was, I I think people get quite overwhelmed when they're deciding where they want to go next or what, you know, what journey they want to have. People get very overwhelmed in, am I setting goals? Like, where do I go next? What's the, how do I find new ideas? And, And when do I move on? When do you make the decision to make a change in your life. So for you, obviously the the move to T2 wasn't sort of a really big planned thing, but it just came up and you kind of went with what was the right opportunity. Then moving on to Afterpay, how has your decision making in when the right time is 
to move on to something. How has that worked for you? Yeah, I think I think there's an interesting piece on, you know, knowing at what point does your skill set match a business and then yes. at what point does another skill set need to match a business? And I think, you know, that's whether you're an entrepreneur having an advisory board. So I'm, I'm on a number of advisory boards as well. And there's a certain period where businesses need a certain skill set. And then at a certain point, then they need to refresh that and change that. So depending on the different growth cycle. So for me, the decision on T2 was, uh, are you committing to another five years in that role? Or do you want to pursue and go back to the start of another business and help do another sort of startup piece? And for me, that's the bit that I love. So I, um, I left T2 and then really had sort of a period of six or seven months of just traveling and meeting people and basically saying yes to a lot of you know <laughs> meetings all, all sort of all over all over the world but really sort of never had a sense of well what do I want to do next in terms of an aspiration of companies but more the people mm-hmm. and the types of organizations so I was introduced to Nick Molnar and when I met Nick I was like before before I met him I was like I don't know anything about finance <laughs> so I don't know anything about payments this whole API you know processing costs I was like I don't know anything about that. Um, So I can't quite see what he would be wanting to talk to me about. But when I'd previously, you know, heard from a lot of retailers and had been away overseas and came back and everyone's like, oh, you should, you know, this afterpay thing. And I was like, what (laughs) What is is it? it? I was like, like, okay, so it's sort of a digital lay-by. And I'm like, and that is a business? Anyway, so (laughs) this is why I'm on the functional side and not on the foresight. So I met Nick and I thought, oh, this will be interesting, you know. So I was all, you know, Sarah, all, you know, made myself look all as fabulous as I could I met him I'm a CEO yeah you know you know I sort of went oh I've got to look like I'm professional and you know I'm sort of you know got got some brains in there somewhere and I um, love that you even still think about that stuff yeah well you know so I was like all dressed I think I had a skirt and all that sort of hoo-ha <laughs> anyway so I turned up to lunch and um Nick was like, oh, I've been working really late. Do you mind if I order a steak and chips? And I was doing, you know, what I thought was the right thing. I was like, I have a chicken salad. And he's <laughs> like, oh, you know, I'm starving. Can I order a steak and chips? And I instantly thought, oh, my goodness, I really like this guy. <laughs> I really like him. I don't know how, how I could... Based on the meal choice. Yeah, based on the meal choice. Because I'd met so many people, I thought, oh, it's all so sort of corporate and very serious. And then I thought he's genuinely like... I've been working really late. I'm starving, so I just you know, need chips. And yeah, a steak. and then I thought, okay, see, I'm so easily won over. <laughs> you just have to order something interesting at, at lunch, and then you know I'll come and work for you. Yeah, it's a hot tip, everyone. Yeah, it's a hot tip. There you go. So yeah, so I met him, and I just thought, okay, it's amazing vision. Um, loved it, loved that he had such a clear view of where the business was going, but also then a very transparent sense of um, where the opportunities were. And so I um, came on board and then as the business was then moving and um, Nick had a you know clear vision of taking the business to the US, then I came on board full time. So sort of a typical, sort of same in the T2 sense of starting as a consultant yeah. and then um, moved into you know, a more more permanent role. People just don't want to let go of you once well, I've got you. Well, I don't know that, but I think it's more sort of I'm like, okay, let's see how all this works. Yeah. Um, but it's been amazing and just an amazing group of people and 
so you know feel genuinely really lucky to to be here and part of you know the afterpay story so what's your actual role so I look after all of sales so yeah which is fantastic so really working on driving value for um for the merchants yeah and you know we've got obviously you know over 20,000 plus um retailers so how do we continue to create and demonstrate value and for me you know my personal passion is on growing retail and and helping entrepreneurs to realize their vision so it's a absolute joy to be able to blend your sort of technical expertise with your personal passion yeah and to be able to meet so many different founders and think gosh look at all of these people doing unbelievable you know things and striving to try and realize their vision so if we can be part of that and help them grow then I'm you know that's the one thing that gets me out of bed every morning oh that's so amazing and it's so interesting that you said technical expertise meeting your passion I think that's the key that everyone is ultimately looking for. That alignment is where all the magic happens. And I think a lot of people have one or the other and are still trying to work out what's missing. And it's usually just uniting them in something. Yeah, and I think it's it's giving yourself enough time to, to get there, meet yeah, people. To but figure I, it out. I, you know, and I think that bit on, you know, I left T2 and went, oh, my goodness, you know, what am I going to do now? And then <laughs> I'm unemployed. Okay, <laughs> I'm unemployed again. Here I am. Oh, dear. But then I went, okay, well, you know, who do I need to meet? How do I meet interesting people? Mm. And I think genuinely interesting people will lead you into other, other introductions or – so I, I think that it, for me is – just you know my goal in life is to be interested and interesting yes, and I, I just think that. you just want to see and meet people yeah uh and so I think that's the bit that sort of gives you the good energy yeah. but also then you sort of then find other like minds yeah so I do think that bit on how do you know what your skill set is and then this is what I can do and then this is what I can't do yeah so I think then that gives you the chance to sort of keep growing yeah I love that and I just love the idea that you don't have to have it all sorted out at the very beginning and you don't even have to plan your next step out five years before you jump it can sometimes just be that you put your purpose out there and you put your skills out there and that somehow the universe kind of joins it together you know it takes time to get there I think you just sort of have to give yourself a bit of a breather too so I look at these people with these amazing vision boards and all this and I think God, I really wish I was like that. Like, I look at that and think, I wish I had a vision board. I wish I could be that focused. You know, I'm like, I, I want to do the Oprah Winfrey, that yeah. whole. And, and then you I have think, a car. And yeah, you, have, you a car. have a car. And you have a car and, you know, I'm going here. And so I think you sort of have to, you know, decide what works best for you. And I always get great energy from travelling. I travel a lot. Um, travel and people and so you know if your vision board is something different I think you have to give yourself permission to be something different too. Yeah absolutely and so you mentioned that your passion is helping entrepreneurs and obviously here at Afterpay you're doing that but on the side you also make time you're a scale investor. Yes. uh, Yeah. Do a lot of startup advising for a range of different businesses. I don't know how you find time and energy to do that as well but Having worked with a lot of founder-led businesses uh, and at all different sizes as well, I think is really interesting and different stages of their journey and help them kind of grow. What are some of your observations for anyone out there who's an aspiring business owner or who has a business already? What are some of the, the big observations that you've you know acquired in just watching that process you know the founder's dilemma you know I'm in one at the moment (laughs) you know there are lots of pain points along the way and you you will have 
probably come in at different points in different businesses and seen all of them. What are some of the top things that you can you can uh, share? I think, uh, and yeah, and it's a bit that I absolutely love. So whether it be listening and helping them frame their pitch or frame their vision, just absolutely love it. I think the, the piece on the founders' vision is is how do you be so single minded? Mm-hmm. So you know you get to different points, and usually with the founder, their energy moves onto something else, or there's another piece that's interesting. And I yeah. think it's this sort of discipline piece on okay how do I be so single-minded that if you genuinely believe in this vision you have to chase it yeah and so this thing of oh I've got another little side hustle and another and another I think that makes that sometimes challenging so how do you stay so single-minded on your vision that you can execute that through I think mapping the customer journey. So yeah. sometimes I see, you know, with different ideas, it's, it's so the customer's going to do X, Y, and Z, and it's like, okay, wow, the customer is going to jump through multiple hurdles, or if you're partnering with a supplier, the supplier is. So sometimes it's like, okay, that sounds quite complicated. Yeah. And if you can't explain your business model sort of succinctly in in two or three sentences and people don't understand it, then I'm like, it's too complicated. So, uh, and I think being really clear on where, where is the niche and who is your competition and then what resources and connections do you need to help you grow? Mm. So at a startup phase, who are the people that are going to help you and then what are each of their roles on your advisory board? Mm. So that those board members are very clear, my role is X and yours is Y. So they're going to have a base level of knowledge but at certain times you're going to require them to lean in and, and help in a certain specific area. So I think the bit on being quite single-minded mm. on and, and committed to seeing your vision through and simplifying are absolutely critical pieces. And would you say, you know, when you first go into a business, there's, say, three things that you look for or that you stand or that you will start working on first or that stand out for you in a person or in a business like is there you know I know there's no magic formula as much as I would like there to be but is there anything that each time you just come in look for those things oh absolutely I mean I think the key for me is what 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 is the vision and and what who is the customer yeah so if the customer is really broad or it's not clear or they can't articulate or it's sort of like it doesn't you're sort of sitting there thinking okay I'm not quite sure what's going on here then I think that's a flag and then the economics will be sort of the second of either pricing or what the cost price is if it's a, if it's a commodity product and then the bit on where do they see their um, you know where are they going to get investment so I think the one fantastic thing on scale is you get to see a broad range of businesses and obviously at scale we've invested into a number of businesses and a number of them haven't been successful mm. and I think some of them are to do with the type of investment that they get so you know if you're in a business and you're getting two different sets of VC firms or different investment and they've got equal amounts of capital or or equity each Mm. then that's very difficult to manage so you know I think as an entrepreneur and someone says I'm going to invest in you people get very very excited and of course why wouldn't you 
But it's then going, okay, but what, what's the economic returns? What's the time frame? Are they aligned to my vision mm. of where I want the business to go? Or are they wanting an exit far sooner? So I think that sort of piece on, okay, well, where are you going to get the investment from? And is their time horizons matching to mine mm. is critical. Yeah. And I think most businesses have cycled through one investor or a certain investor at a certain point mm. because either the investment time horizons don't match up or the personalities don't Mm. so I think that's a sort of a challenge too to be okay well what kind of investor do I need Mm. what kind of investment and what sort of what what should their background be becomes important because I think that's often where sometimes it can um, you know you you hit a bit of a hurdle in terms of a misalignment. And you mentioned um, having a board of advisors who, you know, fill kind of all the gaps of knowledge really and experience that that you need to kind of push your business along. Short of investment and having, you know, seen a lot of businesses who take investment and some who don't, what would you say I think the common resounding question for a lot of founders is who can help me? Like there's not a lot, it's not, there's not a natural hierarchy like within a business where you have a partner and an advisor, someone who you logically go to. And I think mentorship is something that people really look for because they just feel, you just feel lonely sometimes in business because there's no logical person to turn to. So in terms of either finding mentors or having an unofficial board or an official board or just resources to upskill and and to run things by people do you have any advice on what would be a you know what what a startup should do in that in that regard I think I think you need to think through what what do you need as a business and and sort of sit back and and say well at this stage um because obviously an advisory board you're probably going to give them some sweat equity Mm. and and so you need to then decide okay well, if I'm giving away sweat equity I need to be getting something back and is my business at the right stage to then leverage those skill sets around the table to help it grow mm. so I think the piece is how do you you know I think networking events talking to other founders um, you know whether it be LinkedIn and sometimes just doing an outreach I mean there's a number of you know great events whether it be through investables or all these different type of um, ones that you may be able to then find some investors but it's nothing other than straight networking yeah and then I think it's what do you really want from them yeah so are you wanting them to be your cheerleader are you wanting them to be (laughs) your news reader and read the bad news are you wanting them to help you with financing so what are you really after because I think the the you know the the tighter that brief is and the better the return so if it's like well I want to talk to you every month and we're going to meet and we're going to discuss you know the growth plans or the financing or how do I expand my customer base whatever it is the tighter the brief the better the the execution and I don't think you always need an advisory board Mm. I think you need to have a pretty strong network Um, and you may choose to turn it into an advisory board but you know if you thought about what are the three or four key areas that you need to help you personally grow your business then where do you try and access those people who have maybe done it before or have lived a bit of the journey that you're trying to create for yourself how do you find those people to then tap into Mm. but I think everyone needs 
um, mentors and support for me, whether it's a founder or even in in corporates, it can be lonely. Mm. You know, and it's sort of, you you know, and the the bit is that the further up you go, um, it is true, sometimes it's lonelier because it's not like you can sit down and have a chat to everyone and everyone (laughs) sort of wants something from you. So, you know, I think it's your responsibility to then recognise that for yourself and and build your own network. Mm. So it is lonely, it doesn't matter where it is. So Mm. finding those people that you can talk to and and lean on I think is such an invaluable thing because that they'll be the ones that push you forward or if it's not push drag you forward <laughs> by the hair off. drag you <laughs> yes. um, I need a drag yeah, yeah so sort of like you know so you could decide what yeah. you want but um yeah <laughs> I think then they then help you you um you know keep moving and and you know help keep you on on the train tracks of of your vision yeah so that brings us to our next segment which is called an ATA bringing it back to your personal experience of some of the things along the way that have kind of challenged your fulfillment and excitement and yay and finding the thing that really lights you up and actually going for it and I think self-doubt is probably one of the most common themes that comes up for particularly for women it's not not as you know that's a mass generalization but women tend to hold a lot of self-doubt and double guess and you know particularly when they're going into high-flying CEO executive positions I think we're, we're just prone to doubting our ability to do it and having this imposter syndrome the whole time when we're moving into a position and it takes a lot of time to build that confidence have you found that self-doubt has had a big part in your journey along the way yeah absolutely I think you know I think you sit there and, and I think I, I, you know the one thing I think is as you um, go through that you can call yourself on it mm. a little bit more and I think I'm better at going seriously what are you doing to yourself stop yeah. press pause um let's you know press pause on crazy town here going on inside <laughs> your mind <laughs> Yo. and I'm like okay stop now what are the two things that you need to do that will help you feel that you're more confident or feel like you're delivering in a way that you want mm. so I think it's about self-expectations and and so there's this sort of nirvana that you have in your head of I need to be doing X, Y, and Z. I need to be over everything. I need to mm-hmm. be doing that. And I think being able to say, well, actually, I'm probably going to deliver at 75% and then 25%. I'm, there might be things that drop or, you know, fall away. or And I think sort of giving yourself a breather on that. Mm-hmm. But I do think that bit on going, okay, stop. You're now getting yourself down crazy town. Just press pause and reframe for a moment. So I think being able to switch off Mm. from whatever you're doing, and I love art, so I will go around an art gallery or read art books or something, but just switch your mind off and go back and recalibrate because otherwise that self-doubt you know you you lose your confidence and I think you know I think in corporate or in you know even in founders how do you not let someone else take your confidence away from you or a situation take your confidence because that then means it's almost a self-fulfilling path so it's just but it's difficult and it's really difficult and so having people around you go hey um, (laughs) what's going on here are you going down you know what's happened Captain Crazy let's just pause <laughs> so 
you've got to have good, good, good friends and good networks, which I do. Who are like, what is going on? Yeah. Rachel, um, calm Rachel, down. like, <laughs> hey, crazy. So I think you know it. It is that, and giving yourself permission to not be a hundred percent and not delivering at a hundred percent. And there are going to be things that you know, whether it be in an organisational context, that you go, oh damn, I've, yeah, we missed the ball on that. And going, it's okay, you're allowed to do that, now let's move on. Yeah. Uh, giving yourself that permission. But I do think that piece on not allowing situations or people take your self-confidence mm. and how do you keep yourself energised in a way that keeps you feeling good about yourself. And yeah. I think sometimes you can get, you know, in very stressful situations where you're like, oh, my goodness, how do I get my way out of this and there's so many people relying on me and all of this sort of narrative makes it a challenge to, you know, think through, okay, well, how do I try and be the best but press pause to? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not easy and I think it's having this sort of connection and, and places to go and sort of switch your mind off mm. um, gives you sort of a bit of a breather. Yeah, I always look at self-doubt as something almost like meditation. It's like the thoughts will never go away same with self-doubt it's actually not meant to disappear it's just a sign that you are invested and that you really care and usually that you're stepping a little bit out of your comfort zone which is actually a good thing it's just a protection mechanism but as long as you have a strategy to manage it then it can't affect you you can't get carried away in it it's meant to just be a little kind of little feeling and then as long as you can manage that feeling, then I think it's totally manageable. Yeah, and I think there's also a piece on, so each week, what's one thing you're going to do that helps you close either a knowledge gap mm. or a personal gap or if you think, okay, I'm not getting on with this person or what's happening here, something's something's not right. Or mm. I think what are you going to do over each week over the, say, a space of four weeks? And then it's like, okay, so if I'm here at the end of four weeks then and I look back, then have I actually moved forward? Yeah. So, you know, and I always obviously, you know, end up talking with a you know, number of people and you work with a lot of people. I'm like, so in 12 months, what's the personal story you want to say when you look back on your previous 12 months? Yeah. And so how do you try and keep moving forward? Because you're going to have moments of self-doubt and you feel good about yourself and then you're like, oh, my God, what am I doing? This is <laughs> Such you know, an this emotional rollercoaster. Yeah, and it's like and it is inside your own head. It's yeah. like, what is this? Yeah. And so it's like, okay, well, each week what am I doing that's going to help me retain my confidence and build it? Yeah. But it's nothing more than sort of trying to focus on these small things that will help you know give test something and get a little win and then celebrate that victory yeah and I also think the discomfort of self-doubt it makes you agitate for change which is a good thing it does make you sort of take action to close those gaps whereas if you felt if you felt comfortable all the time there would be no development there'd be no and it's it's fun to have a bit of crazy going on inside your own absolutely That's that's why we've got podcasts. Yeah. So you, can, you know, listen to podcasts that then calm you down yeah. and soothe you. <laughs> so, what about on a, on a more you know a wellness, well being kind of level? I think today in this day and age, the world has allowed us to go at a pace that is 
probably too fast for our physical bodies to deal with and then there's a lot of fallout I think on an emotional level because we're just bombarded with information and stimulation and excitement which leads to a lot of the crazy and then of course in you know when you're in a higher powered position you get that productivity and connection pressure you're expected to be available all the time your brain is expected to be performing all the time and then if we anything like me and a, a crazy A-type, then you put that on, you, that pressure on yourself as well. So I find that one of the biggest challenges for me along the way is because I want to learn and because I'm excited about what I'm doing, I don't rest. I have this endless guilt when I'm resting because I want to be productive and learning and then I burn out. And how has that played out for you? Do you have that pressure of like finding it hard to switch off and then burning out when you're working too hard and not taking breaks? And has that been a bit of a cycle? Oh, Sarah, it's like you've been living my life with me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'm sort of like, uh, absolutely. And I think it's the this sense of achievement and delivery. And it's, we were talking before about expectations on yourself. So 100%, I've run everything at a 100 miles an hour. I think, um, you know, now, uh, sort of at a stage where, you know, try and have two or three really good holidays a year mm-hmm. um, and really try and sort of switch off and block things in your diary. So mm-hmm. whether that be going to see Steve Martin, um, <laughs> you know, going to or going to a cooking school in Hobart, doesn't matter what it is, but how do you block things in? Because if they're in your diary, you'll do them. Mm-hmm. And I found if they're not in the diary or not there or you don't commit to them, then then you just get, you just you get just on push the treadmill. Yeah. And so... And I do think there's a piece on, you know, and if you are needing to do work when you're away, then ring fence the time. Yeah. So I'm going to do it, you know, an hour in the morning and then you sort of switch off. Uh, but I do think there's a, a piece on, you know, it's more your expectation and, uh, than a company's expectation on you. So you have to call yourself on your own stuff, mm. um, which is actually this is your need to stay in control and connected and over the top of everything. Mm. It's not actually that the business is requiring that of you, it's about yourself. So how do you then say, okay, well, you know, so plan and set your teams up and, and then you can switch off. I think it's also good, yeah, sort of need to because then you trust your teams and if you're over the top of it all the time, then it's almost smothering them in a certain way. But I do think over the time, uh, you know, I think there's no doubt that when you're in a high growth business, that need to move quickly and stay ahead mm. is pervasive. Mm. So you have to try and sort of manage and, and sort of recognise in yourself how do you switch off. Yeah. But I do think it's a challenge. Yeah, it's <laughs> the ongoing. And when people talk about balance <laughs> and, you know, all this, I sit there and go, really? Okay, I just... I just think sometimes these goals of that are, are difficult to achieve and sometimes you can get there and sometimes you don't. Mm. And some months you might be more balanced and it can all look nice and ordered and then the next two months might be completely crazy. Yeah. So it's just trying to navigate your way through yeah. and make sure that the things that give you good energy and refill your yourself and refill your sort of resistance, mm. you need to keep sort of topping them up. Yeah. So, you know, I love... Travelling, art, 
eating. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. great all, combination all, all together. Yeah, so, you know, heads up Rome, Paris, you yeah. know, the cities. Um, so, you know, and I think that just, you know, staying connected and, and exploring different things helps you keep, uh, you know, keep the energy going. Yeah, absolutely. So that actually leads really nicely into the last segment, which is called Play TA. And this is my favourite one because I think this is the, the part of a person that actually you don't find out about as much, even though it should be kind of more the totality of who you are. I think we get very, very caught up in our work identities or our productive identities that are achieving things. We introduce ourselves with our name and what we do, not our name and who we are. Um, And one of our guests, Agapi, who's um, Ariana Huffington's sister, said, you know, we're human beings, not human doings, and yet everything that we focus on is our output. And I'm very much like you. I find the productivity pressure comes from identifying myself as an achiever. So then when I'm isolated from that, I'm like, who am I? What, what is so, my purpose? And it's the sense of achievement. So, you know, I would love, one of my goals is to go into an art gallery to look at the year of a painting and be able to talk about what was happening in that in the world at that year. That's amazing. Now, now Sarah, I'm a long way. <laughs> you've set the goal. But, but in my head, I'm like, I'd love to then go and, you know, look at the Vermeer and go okay 1450 what was happening in the world in 1450 <laughs> but because I think there's a you, you know you're absolutely right and I think that sense of achieving often um is ascribed to numbers yes. so it's what numbers what what's the numbers that you're delivering as opposed to how do you set yourself some kind of goal but it may not be in terms of delivering a financial metric yeah so and i'd love i've got this big art book which is this global you know he looks at all the paintings for all the art galleries and i'm like fantastic i'm going to go work my way through every single one of these and i think that's the bit on how do you try and balance that sense of achievement not necessarily on numbers but on something else yeah definitely I've really had to kind of try and cut myself off from defining the purpose or productivity or, or the worth of an activity based on its output I've actually had to force myself to find activities that have no output and then still be okay with spending time on them. Like one of my favourite quotes is, time you enjoy wasting is not wasted time, but you can only enjoy that time if you let go of the guilt about it. So things like puzzles, like there is absolutely no purpose to a puzzle. You actually deconstruct the puzzle at the end of it anyway. So there's no point to it except the pure enjoyment of doing it and I think that's you know those are the activities that do help you separate who you are and find some joy outside of working Uh, and I think I mean there is I mean a puzzle is you know those large yeah those massive ones oh my goodness it's about that's teaching you patience yeah (laughs) (laughs) if nothing else I think there's a bit on how do you find the things that you just love for the sake of loving yeah absolutely I, I mean I just will go to any art gallery anywhere in the world So when I take my niece and nephew, it's like, really, are we doing this again? I'm like, yes, just come and look at one painting. So, And I just love them. And then I love reading about the artists. And I just think just all of that sort of takes you away to another world and another time. And so there's no purpose in that. But I have literally got a whole room in my house devoted to art books that I look and think, gosh, if I had not bought those and invested <laughs> I might be able to afford one of these pages but anyway we will 
remove myself from the economics of yeah, that investment. Yeah. But they're just beautiful. And then I do find myself sometimes going, if I need to switch off, I will just grab a book and go, remember that time when I went to Venice and yeah. I went to this exhibition and just reread it again? Because I think it then centres you back in something that's not actually about you. And I think sometimes we can spend ourselves so much on ourselves that it's nice to go, actually, let's just look at something else yeah. that is takes you to another world and another another time. And I look at these artists and think, my goodness, this painting is just to have been able to do that. I, I just think it just is amazing. So, you know, I'm, I'm always going to be found either wandering a shopping centre or wandering an art gallery. <laughs> That's amazing. And then probably eating in between. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's think, so good that you have those things because I think the people who are operating at the highest level can only sustain that because they play as well as work they do play TA that's how they find their joy and they always have something there's always a hobby that allows them I kind of think if you've got an activity that makes you forget what time it is and what day it is that's the activity that you need to do absolutely absolutely (laughs) and I think and I, I mean I will so when I was traveling I would always try and go at least once to an art gallery so because I think it just forces you to go stop put your laptop down calm down and just go and wander and look at something different and you can spare that two hours nothing bad's going to happen the world's not going to collapse so off you go and I do think it gives you then a chance to sort of re-energize and Mm. refresh so I think you have to find out what that is because otherwise especially as entrepreneurs you absolutely run out of puff and you get to the end of three years usually and I think for organisations that are in a startup phase they get to sort of two and a half three years and everyone that's been there from the start will have either run out of path or you need to think about how you re-energise the teams so I think otherwise it's just too much running and energy without enough sort of topping up yeah absolutely got to refill the cup (laughs) got to refill the cup exactly so what about just on a basic life structure level how do you you know exercise what's your eating regime and then how many hours of sleep do you get a night in between all of this stuff do you meditate like how do you manage the actual you know nuts and bolts of your day well um you know again this is sort of an interesting i've become obsessed about sleep after reading a book about it so yes i, I, think, I read yeah, ariana huffington yes sleep revolution yeah, yeah so it's like okay right i need to be getting more sleep but i've got to stop reading her book to go to bed yeah, <laughs> so it's sort of like okay put the book down and go to bed um, I, I think you know you need to you'll you just find your own rhythm obviously i technically live in melbourne even though i work during the week in sydney yeah so that's a little bit sort of um crazy so it's not sort of a set time but i think that bit on how do you sort of switch off and make sure that you're staying in touch with all your friends and all the people that are there for you Mm -hmm. I think is just really important Mm -hmm. so try and sort of blend all all of that in Um, love to get away and and travel and I think then in your diary and I think sort of I have a a, you know a view of how to try and construct your diary but I think I stick to it probably 70 percent of the time <laughs> That's you know, good like, I'm going to put this bit in for advisory boards and then this bit in to do admin and it's sort of you know so I think you can have a theory and you sort of tend to try and stick to it um, but I think you just you know it's about how do you try and stay refreshed mm-hmm. and interested and interesting mm-hmm. and you can't do that if you're not 
yeah, if you're exhausted and you know in yourself, I think we all know, you can just feel it in yourself when you've mm. run out of puff. Mm. And I'm like, if you've run out of puff, then you have to go and take a long weekend and just switch off yeah. and go up to Byron and sit by the beach or do, do whatever you need to. But otherwise, then you're actually not doing anyone any favours yeah. by coming in if you actually just need a break. Yeah. So this February, I've just been a week in Melbourne went to art galleries, went up to Heidi, <laughs> went, you know, and just sort of oh, switched nice. off for a little bit because it's like, okay, just how do you, out. yeah, 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 so you sort of run through Christmas and then it's like, okay, I now need to sort of start again. But you need to recognise that in yourself and go, you don't have to go and do something, you just have to sort of switch off. So mm. I think that, um, you know, is important to sort of recharge and, but also, you know, you've got to call yourself on your own behaviour yeah. and sort of, you know, put that mirror up every now and then and Good go, hard look okay, at yeah, like, ooh, okay, this is frightening. I need to get, get back on track. What about family? Yeah. Especially between Melbourne and Sydney. Do you get time to see your family? Do you have a family? Are you going to have a family? <laughs> well, I do. Have my, well, I obviously have my um, sister has a niece and nephew and my brother has three kids. So I tend to see them all the time. Yeah. Um, I think... Loving retail probably helps to make you a good auntie. Yeah. <laughs> sort of especially I get the text, do you want to go to Chadston on Saturday? So, um, you know, I do. And I think they're, they're like my best friends yeah. is all of them. So I just couldn't do it without that sort of connection and I just think it's so important. And yeah. I think as you... You know, go through and you get older and you realise then it's actually those connections that um, mean something. So we were talking earlier about numbers. Mm. It's actually you move on and you realise numbers are just a function but the connection's really the fabric of, of who you are and, and, you know, what you what you want when you get older. And I think people, you know, you want people for the relationships and, and the, the connection and the, you know, so I think that gives you then an opportunity to sort of, you know, make sure that you can hang on to those and haven't burnt yourself out or driven so hard to chase a number yeah. that you've actually forgotten about the other side. Yeah. So, no, no, very close. Oh, good. All right. And then second last question just to finish up. What are three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation? Oh, my goodness. It's a fun Sarah. one because you find out all this random stuff about people and I'm like, that. What's that's what reminds people that people, everyone's just a human. Everyone's just a normal human, even though they sound like Superwoman. <laughs> See, I'd love to have a tattoo or speak another language or something <laughs> exciting. Do you have a weird, like, party trick or skill? Oh, well, you'll have to invite me to a party, Sarah, <laughs> and, and, I'll, and I'll show you my, my party tricks. Um, no, I don't think I have a weird party trick. So I don't think I have any sort of crazy... doesn't have to be crazy. It's um, interesting. Interesting. Like a middle name or... Oh, I do have a middle name, obviously, but that's not, not a crazy A lot of people name. don't have a middle I name. <laughs> um, so, no, I think I, I'm just... Oh, um, you'll find me anywhere there's good food, yep. good art and good travel. That counts as three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's three. And I'd love to get back into golf. I used to play <gasps> golf all the time. That's a good one. See? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'd love to get back into that. So that's uh, along with knowing what was happening in the year of certain paintings, I- I'm going to add golf as part of it. Good. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can travel the world and play at the best. And cook. The I'm best a great golfing. Cook, so. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm going to golf, read and cook. There Amazing. you go. That's where everyone can find me in my retirement. <laughs> and then the last 
question since I love quotes so much. What's your favourite quote? Uh, I've got two that I love. So one is sort of, you know, every next level of your life will demand a different you. <gasps> Such a good one. Yeah, and I think it's so true. I think if you go through stages, you're going to need to be a different version of you. Yeah. It doesn't mean you sort of move so far away. But I do think that, you know, every next level or stage of your life requires a different you. Yeah, so how do you think about one. that? And then the other for me that I just love is, you know, there are some things you learn best in calm and then there's some that you learn best in a storm. That's <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah, so because I think this, this sort of picture that, you know, of calmness and, you know, we've got this sort of very zen sort of stage, but I do think, you know, out of some really difficult times, you actually do learn a lot as well mm. so sometimes you do learn in calm but sometimes it's best to learn in a storm oh that's a wonderful well thank you so much for sharing your incredible wisdom and knowledge and, and always being so generous with your time it's been so lovely to have you on the show my pleasure sarah and as always i've gone well over time so the oh, other thing that everyone delightful. should know <laughs> is that i that i uh, you know never use one word when i can use five <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad we're both the same, so I'm glad we didn't go. We could have gone for hours. <laughs> Thank you so much. Excellent. Thanks, Sarah. So, sorry about some of the Surrey Hills street ambience we had going on. There was a lot happening that day in the office and also outside, it appears. Bit of street cleaning, a few meetings. Uh, it's, a, it's a really cool office, so I think there were some stairs above us that were making a bit of noise. But, you know, I always feel like the ambience kind of adds to the whole experience. Such a great chat with Rachel. I honestly feel so lucky for every minute I get to spend with her picking her very clever brain because I know she's in such a sought-after woman for her knowledge. So I'm so glad to have been able to share some of her tips and tricks with you and I hope you guys got a lot out of it, particularly if you're in that space of you know, running a business and, and getting it started or in the growth phase of any business. Um, she's just such an incredible, incredible woman. We have loved welcoming Afterpay into the Matcha Maiden family and I think our audience, <laughs> looking at the uptick, the audience have really enjoyed it as well. So I highly recommend you get on board and have a look if you haven't already and if you're a consumer, it absolutely needs no introduction, I'm sure. Continuing on with the very busy time, um, there's some super exciting things coming up in the next couple of weeks. I, for the first time in a very long time, actually have a bit of a backlog going on with the episodes I've actually recorded in advance, which is usually I have them planned out in advance but not necessarily recorded. So I might be throwing you double doses of episodes if I can get enough ahead um, because I'm too excited. Once I record them, I'm like, oh my God, I need to get them out. Um, but also, you know, self-love, taking it slowly, also have two businesses to run. We'll see what happens. But cannot wait to share the next couple of episodes. And as always, please do take a screenshot and share this. Let me know what you think, what you thought, what you took out of it, if there are any, you know, pearls of wisdom that you want to share with others. Uh, and do subscribe, of course if you haven't already and then if you do think of any stories that you would love to hear or that you've heard of and you'd love me to go after do please email me or dm me on all of the seven million accounts that i have i get them all and i do love to go through them so always open to feedback suggestions and just general chats uh love a good chat as you can tell i'm a bit wordy today i should probably cut myself off right now hope you're having an amazing day and a seizing your yay